Chapter Seven of In Search of Treasure by Horatio Alger, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven Guy Receives a Commission. Not going back on the Osprey? exclaimed Captain Grover in great surprise. No, sir. Mr. Saunders wishes to retain me in his employment but you are aware that the climate of bombay is very trying to a foreigner i do not expect to stay in bombay i thought you were intending to remain with your present employer i expect to remain in his employ but he will very soon send me to england on business captain grover looked still more amazed does he know how old you are he asked abruptly he knows how young i am answered guy with a smile still he seems to have confidence in me i suppose i shall have to give my consent guy i hold myself in a manner responsible for you as you left home under my charge still i can see that mr saunders is likely to prove a good friend to you how much does he pay you thus far he has paid me twenty-five dollars a week you can hardly expect that he will pay you such large wages when you are traveling on the contrary he says he will pay me more either you are a very smart boy or he overrates you greatly suppose we say the first said guy smiling well perhaps so how long are you to stay in england i don't know yet from there where will you go to boston or new york captain grover looked relieved i want to be able to tell your father that you are all right he will naturally feel anxious when he thinks that you are alone in a distant country i don't know about that he always had considerable confidence in my ability to get along he didn't know anything about your crazy idea of hunting for a pirate's treasure did he i never mentioned that matter to him and i hope you will not he gave me permission to search uncle george's sea-chest but i never told him what i found in it you know captain he is a very absent-minded man i presume he has never thought of the matter from that day to this i am glad you have given up the notion of hunting for a treasure which very likely does not exist have i said guy to himself but he only smiled he had never said anything to captain grover about mr saunders's plans or about the thousand pounds which the merchant had paid over to him he knew that the captain would rejoice in his good fortune but he wanted to bide his time and surprise his friends at home with the story of his luck he felt that already he was worth enough money to help his father materially in case deacon crane should succeed in his efforts to have him ousted from his parish in favor of a younger man on the day that the osprey was to weigh anchor guy remained on board with mr saunders's permission till the good ship had fairly left her dock as he watched her gradually fading out of sight and realized that he was perhaps eight thousand miles from home 
with none of his old friends near him he felt homesick for a short time but soon the thought of his wonderful good fortune cheered him up and he went back to the office full of exhilaration and hope in about a week the sick clerk whose place guy had taken returned and a few days later guy embarked on an english steamer bound for liverpool on the departure of the osprey he had taken up his residence at the house of mr saunders who was a widower a maiden sister kept house for him i want you with me said the merchant partly because it will be more homelike for you than a hotel and partly because i shall have a better chance to instruct you in the business which you are to transact for me in london guy learned that mr saunders was a special partner in the london firm of russell and company and had constant transactions with them a part of guy's instructions related to business to be done with them he had thought that this would be all but he was mistaken one evening after supper mr saunders said i have given you directions as to business matters but i have another affair requiring discretion and good judgment on your part in which i shall require your help i shall do my best sir i am sure of that you must know that three years since i was informed of the death of an old schoolmate herbert bell we had been very intimate in school and retained an interest in each other though our paths in life differed materially he became a clergyman while i entered upon a business career his wife died before him at his own death he left a son about your age i should judge and he left him to me beseeching me in remembrance of our old intimacy to look after him this i willingly agreed to do poor herbert left only a few hundred pounds the income of which was quite insufficient to support and educate his son vivian on the whole i was not sorry for this as it enabled me to be of even more service to my friend's boy i would have been glad to send for him and bring him up under my own eye but i didn't dare to expose his health to this dangerous climate i therefore placed him at school about fifty miles from london i had been so long absent from england that i knew nothing of the schools there but trusted to my business correspondent to find one that was satisfactory he was placed at an academy kept by dr peter musgrave whom i supposed a fitting guardian for the orphan boy you see i trusted to the judgment of my business associate i have had little or no direct communication with or about vivian but immersed in business took it for granted that all things were going on as they should my first doubt came when about a month since i received a letter from the boy which i will show you he took from his desk a letter written in a schoolboy hand which he gave to guy to read it ran as follows my dear guardian i have been wanting for a good while to write to you about the way i am treated by dr musgrave he seems to have taken a great dislike to me 
and uses me cruelly i am sure it is not because of my conduct because i try to obey the rules of the school but i once complained of his son simon who was in the habit of ordering me about and who regularly made me give him half of my pocket money simon denied that this was so and his father chose to believe him the result was that i was flogged and from that time i have been ill-treated scarcely a day passes without my receiving punishment i can never be happy here and i do hope my dear guardian that you will remove me to another school if dr musgrave knew that i was writing to you he would not permit me to send the letter i do not dare to post it myself but have got a schoolmate to drop it in the post-office for me this was the material portion of the letter as guy read it he felt a strong sympathy for the writer and his indignation was excited against the tyrannical schoolmaster his lips closed firmly and there was an angry light in his eyes dr musgrave wouldn't have treated me in that way he said no i think not you have evidently plenty of pluck but vivian probably takes after his father who was of a gentle and retiring disposition he never asserted himself and always seemed to me to be lacking in proper spirit since i received this letter i have felt uneasy and wished that i were in england to investigate vivian's complaints and if necessary remove him from the school i wish you had done so at once mr saunders i had no one whom i could call upon to act for me this letter came since i made your acquaintance and it was this partly that led me to think of sending you to england you will go as my representative with full power to act in my place as your judgment may dictate i have an idea that the boy is delicate and wish you to consult a physician if the doctor recommends a few months spent in travel i may allow you to take him with you to america i should be a young guardian mr saunders i think you said he was about my age probably he is a year younger at any rate in all essential points you are several years older i have not known you long but i have confidence in your judgment as to the expenses i shall authorize you to draw upon my london correspondent for whatever money you may need i will gladly undertake the commission mr saunders i think i can promise that your ward will have no complaints to make of me shall you have any business for me to attend to in new york in all probability i shall have my new york correspondent is gilbert fraser whose office is opposite bowling green have you ever been in new york no sir but i have no doubt i shall be able to attend to whatever business there you may place in my hands i have no doubt of it where is your home in bayport that is a village in massachusetts not far from new bedford mr saunders made a note of this i will give you further instructions should any occur to me he said now we had best retire End of chapter seven